episode of Acts. That's a cheer. Oh, that was pathetic. Woo. It's been about six months that we've been travelling um, through this series. And right from the start, we likened it to a Netflix series. Who here is a Netflix watcher? Come on, there's no condemnation. Now, in my observation of Netflix watchers, I've um, observed there's two kind of Netflix watchers. There's the bingers, those that have to watch at least two to a whole series in one sitting. And then there's the pacers, those that just like to watch the one per night and take their little spaces in between the seasons. So, and the Bible says, confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. So turn to the person next to you and tell them whether you're a pacer or a binger. Come on. Okay, I didn't tell them about, tell them about the series. Just tell them if you're a binger or a pacer. What did Aaron say? What did Aaron say? He was. Good, good, good. I was just checking that he's telling the truth. I'm the pacer, he's the binger. I know it's boring. But here we are, series three, the third act. And for you, we have a final double episode to finish off with. How good is that? So let's pray, be, pray before we start. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that in your presence there is fullness of joy. And we thank you for the joy in this house this morning. Thank you, Lord, that in your presence there is peace and there is hope. There is comfort and there is power. And we thank you for that this morning. And we pray, Lord, as, as your word goes forth this morning, that you will take it, empower it, make it us new inside, that we may go from this place more like you this morning. In Jesus' name. And they all said... Amen. Up until now, the book of um, Acts in the New Testament, sorry, up until the book of Acts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, has all been about Jesus' miracles, Jesus' signs and wonders, Jesus' teaching. And then in Acts, we see this transition happen, this shift, and it starts to become about Jesus' power and authority moving in and through his followers, just like you and I. And before Jesus leaves um, the earth, leaves his disciples to go with his father. He gives them a mission if they would take it. And it was a bit like Mission Impossible. So he said to them, don't even attempt that mission until you wait. Wait for my Holy Spirit to come and empower you and give you the ability to carry out that mission. And right back in series one, we read that mission. I want to remind you of it now. It's Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then the rest of this series has really been about the apostles living out that mission that Jesus gave them. And as we watch them living out that mission, we see incredible signs and wonders and miracles. We see them sharing Jesus and people coming to know Jesus. But we also see them encounter incredible persecution and trouble and hardship and fear. But we also see them face that fear with supernatural faith. Now, our troubles today might look very different from those of the disciples back then, but we all face troubles. We all face hardships, don't we? And we all face fear because fear is a, a common emotion. I mean, Aaron and I were down um, in Albany a few weeks back 
and we're visiting um, my daughter, son-in-law and, and little granddaughter who's two and they live on a farm and she already has developed a ranidophobia, a fear of frogs. Because she was sitting in the bath about six months ago and um, my daughter spotted this great big, I mean Albany frogs are like this big and they're like that slimy kind of light green colour, quite gross. Anyway, it was sitting on the edge of the bath and she thought, well, I won't even draw attention to it. She won't notice it's there. But unfortunately, the frog jumped into her lap in the bath and she freaked out and now she can't have a bath without, is there a frog around? She sees frogs in corners when they aren't there. She dreams about frogs. She has developed a ranidophobia. I'm sure she'll grow out of it. But there are a whole lot of phobias out there, aren't there? And some of them are slightly amusing. I had to read up about a few of them. This one here, you don't want to be sitting next to Kimbo if you have this. It's pallidophobia, a fear of bald people. <laughs> Sorry, Kim. Um, pog pogonophobia, he loves me. Pogonophobia, fear of beards. And this, this, this one some of you guys might have, penetrophobia, fear of mother-in-law. <laughs> and I know that some men have this one. Sorry, guys. Phronomophobic fear of thinking. Mm. I've got the microphone this morning. <laughs> and my all-time favourite is me-phobia. A fear of becoming so awesome that the human race can't handle it and everyone dies. <laughs> no, no, that's me. <laughs> we can have a laugh, but really fear is no joke, is it? Because it's real and it's rampant in our world. And deep down, we know, all know that we have fears or we face fears in our lives. And they might not be slimy creatures, but you might fear being rejected. You might fear being alone. You might fear the state of our world. You might fear the future. You might fear death. Whatever it is, we all face fears. Fears that pull us away from God. Fears that become giants in our lives. And as we've journeyed through the book of Acts... There's been one character who I think has faced more fears than all of us put together. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked. He was persecuted. He went without so many things. And yet he had this supernatural faith in the face of fear. And his name was Saul, later became Paul. And Luke, the writer of Acts, first introduces us to um, Saul back in Acts chapter 7 where um, we find the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And they throw their jackets, the guys that are stoning Stephen, throw their jackets at the feet of Saul, which kind of symbolises that Saul is sanctioning this murder of Stephen. And then the very next chapter, we see a persecution break out against the Christian church, led by none other than Saul. And then in Acts chapter 9, which Aaron gave a great message last week, where Jesus comes and intersects Paul's story. And he's on the road to Damascus. He's knocked off his horse. He's blinded and he encounters Jesus. And his story changes forever right at that moment. And then really the rest of Acts has been about Paul sharing his story wherever he went. And today, in our final double episode, we find Paul on a ship. And he's on his way to Italy to face charges before Caesar. And he's on this ship under the guard of a Roman centurion named Julius. And he's 275 other passengers on this ship. And it becomes a really difficult journey, a complicated journey. They go from island to island to island and they face heavy winds. And we're going to take up the story in Acts 27 
13. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. So what began as a gentle wind soon became a hurricane. Have you ever come up against something in your life too strong for you to face head on? So you kind of just allowed yourself to be driven along by it? I think fear can be a bit like that. Fear can come at our lives at such a force that we feel helpless and we feel hopeless and we just kind of throw up our hands and say, let it take me where it will. What have you given way to in your life? Is it something in your past that's holding you back? Is it some fear of the future that is driving you along? See, whether it precedes you, whether it surrounds you or whether it's right in front of you, what fear are you facing today? Now, I can't speak into your specific fears because I don't know what they are. But I will let you in on a couple of mine this morning. And then I want to share this third fear, this quite powerful fear that Paul discovered that he traded all his other fears for. The fear that he discovered became a remedy for all his fears. But first, a couple of mine. The first fear that, that I've faced in my life is a fear of failure, a fear of failure. And that fear came at me like the wind in the story of Paul, and it drove my, place, my life to a place that God never intended it to be. And at times it even shipwrecked my life. And the fear of failure basically is a fear of being known for who you truly are, imperfect. And I kind of live with this looming sense that one day someone was going to come and pull the curtain back from my life and they'd see that I, that I wasn't a perfect Christian and that I wasn't a perfect wife and that I wasn't a perfect mother and a perfect pastor. And for me, performance became a way of relieving that fear because if I could just put forward an adequate presentation of myself, then I wouldn't have to face my brokenness and neither would you. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? But fear can be irrational. But thanks to the Lord, as I, as I walked with him and as Holy Spirit began to heal things in my heart and from my past, and I began to read the word of God, I realized that my performance had absolutely nothing to do with my acceptance. I was already accepted in Jesus. And as I began to read the truth of his word, I began to realize that I am who he says I am. And I can do what he says I can do. I'm a child of God. I'm an overcomer. I'm even anointed, because that's what God says. How good is that? But if I allow it, that fear will take me to places that God never intended me to be. If we go back to our story, I think the fear of failure is exemplified in the character of Julius, the centurion, who was given um, charge over Paul, who was rather a high-profile prisoner. And so Julius would have felt the weight of that responsibility. I mean, he was a centurion, so he knew rank and he knew responsibility. But he also knew the consequences of failure because he worked for the Roman Empire. And they were notoriously brutal in their punishment. I mean, they were the guys that introduced crucifixion as a form of punishment. 
So Julius would have been living under this kind of weight of responsibility. And often the greater our responsibility, the more susceptible we are to the fear of failure. Let's see how Julius handles this responsibility in Acts 27 verse 9. We're going back a few verses now. Much time had been lost and sailing had already become dangerous because by now it was after the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ship and cargo and to our own lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. See, Julius had to choose who to listen to. And driven by the fear of failing his superiors, he chooses wrong. And the ship, its cargo, its passengers all end up in a place that they never intended to be. Verse 20. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice. In other words, I told you so, not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. So now, now the men in the ship were facing the fear of loss. They were facing the fear of losing their ship, their cargo, and ultimately their lives. And this fear of loss is another fear that's come up against me in my life. And the fear of loss is basically fearing losing what's most important to you, whether that's family, whether that's your reputation, your job, your health, your life. And the fear of loss took on a, a whole new level for me when my children were born because my love for them was exponential. And as my love grew deeper, my fear of loss grew wider because the more you love the more you stand to lose, don't you? And that's why so many people kind of close their, their hearts off and, and don't want to give their love away because they fear opening up their lives to the fear of losing something. Yet I would argue that not to love is to lose. You see, the fear of loss is kind of a self-defeating exercise because while you're living in that kind of fear that I might lose that thing in my life, you, your life is actually slipping through your fingers. So back to our story, let's see how, fear, how Paul handles this fear of loss because he's, he's facing this right now. Verse 22. But now, he says. Don't you love the but nows of God? But now, I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. See, though there was a storm raging around Paul, a physical storm, it was real, he hadn't allowed the storm to get inside him because he had met the storm's match. Eugene Peterson puts it this way, all the water in the oceans cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. Nor can all the trouble in the world harm us unless it gets within us. See, it's not the storms that surround you that will damage you. It's the storms that rage inside of you. Someone put it this way, it's not the storms of life that sink us, it's the holes in our boats. Whatever is raging around you, don't let it get inside you. See, Paul hadn't allowed the fear that he faced to get inside him because he knew what his God had promised. He knew that he still had a mission to accomplish 
verse 20 something, can't even read it, 23. Last night, this is a promise that Paul had, last night an angel of, the God, of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. That's a faith-filled statement right there, isn't it? For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. And guess what? It does. They find themselves shipwrecked on the island of Malta, but not one life is lost, just as God promised. But like any good Netflix series, the main character has to go through multiple crises, don't they? I mean, often Aaron and I watch me go, oh my goodness, how did that guy ever survive that? And then they kind of rise from the dead and they go through another crisis. So Paul's life's a bit like that. Because in our final episode, he faces another threat on his life. I'm going to put my glasses on. I can't read it properly. Acts 28, 3 to 6. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat, bit him on the hand. The people of the island saw it hanging from his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. It's powerful, isn't it? I mean, when the people witness Paul being bitten by a snake, they say, he must be a murderer. But when they witness Paul's response to that fear, they say, he must be a god. When they saw that Paul was unshaken by the sea, he was unshaken by the storm, and now he's unshaken by the snake. They see God in him. God in Paul, the hope of glory. You see, that is the response that faith evokes. Fear is a natural reaction. But faith is a supernatural remedy for whatever comes your way. Whatever storm you face, whatever snake is trying to latch onto your life, you can remain unmoved, unshaken, unafraid because you have met the storms match. See, Paul isn't driven by the fear of failure. He's not driven by the fear of loss or any other fear because Paul has discovered a greater fear. Paul has traded all his other fears for a holy fear, the fear of God. See, this kind of fear is good. It stands up to all other fears. It brings wisdom. It brings joy. It brings life. It is a holy fear, the fear of God. Now, the Bible is full of promises to those that fear God. It says in Proverbs 14, those who fear the Lord are secure. He will be a refuge for their children. Proverbs 19, fear of the Lord leads to life, brings security and protection from harm. Psalm 25, the Lord is a friend to those who fear him. Now, the fear of God can kind of be a, a hard concept to get our heads around because we hear verses like, do not be afraid, or God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. 
perfect love casts out all fear. So we kind of go, fear God? Well, John Piper has a, has a helpful explanation. It helped me anyway. He says, it's like we were caught in a storm while exploring an Arctic glacier, as you do. And um, you're exploring this Arctic glacier and, and a strong wind whips up. And you're in fear of getting actually blown off the edge of the cliff. And then you discover a cleft in the ice, like a cave in the ice. And you climb in and you're protected and you look out and you're kind of in trembling awe of the storm that's happening around you. He writes it like this. He says, the fear of God is what is left of the storm when you have a safe place to watch right in the middle of it. Oh, the thrill of being here in the centre of the power of God, yet protected by God himself. See, to fear the Lord is to be like Moses and take off our shoes because we're on holy ground. To fear the Lord is to be like the woman at the well who came face to face with the one who knew everything about her. She encountered grace and then she's so wonderstruck that she goes back and tells her whole village. See, to fear the Lord is to be like the disciples who were in the middle of a storm in a boat and they're terrified for losing their life and Jesus comes along and says, be still. And the storm stops and they stand in awe because they've met the storm's match. See, this kind of fear is to grasp the wonder of the gospel, that a God who is righteous and holy would come as one of us into this fear-filled, sinful world and rescue us from the grasp of death. It's to be utterly blown away that because of Jesus, you and I are called children of God. And we can go right into the very throne room of God and get everything that we need without one hint of fear or shame. That's the fear of God. This is a fear that Paul traded all other fears for. This is a fear that became a remedy for all his other fears. I don't know about you, but I don't want fears that grip me, that paralyze me, that drive my life along to places that I never intended to be. I've had enough of those. I want a fear that, that causes me to turn and run to God and stand in awe of his amazing grace. I want a fear that stands and lets go of my grip and says, God, you are all that I need. So what fear are you facing today? Is it an external circumstance or is it an internal battle that's raging within? Is it something that you're dreading that in, the, in your future? Or is it anxiety in your life right now that is holding you captive? Whatever it is this morning, can I encourage you, like I'm encouraging myself, to let go of your grip. Let go of your grip. And as you let go of your grip, it's a bit like that, that old um, hymn that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Would you pray with me? Lord, whether it's external circumstances or it's an internal anxiety, whether it's in our past or our present or our future, God, whether it's something we dread, God, remind us this morning we don't have to fear. We choose to break free from the fear of failure this morning. We choose to break free from the fear of loss this morning. 
We choose to break free from any other fear that we might come up against. And we choose to fear you alone. God, we let go of our grip this morning. We let go of our grip and we surrender to you. Place our faith in you because you promised to never leave us or forsake us. That even in the middle of the storm, we can have faith and hope for the future because you are with us. You are in us and you are for us. And if God is for us, then who can be against us? Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you are here right now. That you are freeing people right now. That you are bringing breakthrough in people's lives right now. And as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, I want to give an opportunity to anyone that might be here this morning that hasn't said yes to Jesus. Yes, I want to follow you, Jesus. He's inviting you right now. You might have been going along. You might have been trying to deal with your own fears and your own doubts in your own way. And Jesus is saying, I want you to surrender them to me this morning. I want you to follow me. I want to be in control of your life so I can lead you to a place of peace and hope and promise and eternal life. So I'm going to look right now and I'm going to ask if you want to say yes to Jesus this morning. If you want to say yes, I want to follow him. Then if you would raise your hand up high so I can see it. And then we'll pray all together. Looking right now across the auditorium. Is there anyone here? Let's stand together. You know, we're going to sing, this is holy ground now. It's not just a song. This is holy ground because God is here. The God that stilled the storm is here this morning to still your storm. And I just encourage you as we sing this song to raise your hands as a symbol of letting go. Letting go of the grip that you might have on things in your life that you're trying to control. And if you would like prayer this morning, this is holy ground here. Come forward and receive prayer. If you've got sickness in your body, come. Surrender that to God this morning. He's here to heal. He's here to bring breakthrough. He's here to bring peace and comfort and joy and hope. So let's see.